This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gauthier. I am once again honored to be representing my friends at New Society Publishers, the book publishers that were a big inspiration to me even before I started working with ecologies and natural buildings and way before podcasting. Their titles like The Natural Plaster Book and Timber Framing for the Rest of Us really made me believe that I could build my own home, which I eventually did. And later volumes like Ecopreneuring, Unlearn Rewild, and Building Community have offered tons of inspiration and even helped to shape my worldview. Whether you're looking for practical tips on growing and preserving food, exploring complex challenges in your own life, or sometimes just searching for hope and inspiration in a crazy world where you don't feel like you fit in, you'll find exactly what you're looking for and more at newsociety.com. Welcome back to another interview from the skill exchange calls that I've been running with climate farmers for our regenerative farming network in Europe. Now, This is one of the many community building activities that I've been organizing to help to connect farmers around Europe to some of the best emerging information available and to get their most important questions answered from our experts around the world. Now, in this session, I had the pleasure of speaking with Harriet Mella, an independent research scientist from Austria known for her work uncovering the unexplained phenomena of plant growth and development. Informed by her background in microbiology, mycology, and biochemistry, Harriet has a unique capacity to describe little-known connections between emerging biological research and agriculture. Her objective is to use the scientific background that we have to introduce agricultural methods that are more resilient and low input for farmers. In this exchange call, we take a look at a wide variety of topics surrounding plant health through soil biology. Harriet does a great job of summarizing very complex aspects of cutting-edge research into practical applications for her work on the ground. At the moment, she's probably best known for the carbon microcycling course that she teaches on the agriculture community platform Kind Harvest. And she's worked a lot with John Kemp from Advancing Ecological Agriculture, and she refers to him a few times during this interview as well. Now, before we get started, I want to remind all of you who would be interested in attending one of these skill exchange calls live in the future, that all you have to do is to be a registered farmer in Europe to receive the invitations and the call links that we have coming up. You definitely don't want to miss out because I'm planning a session with Charles Dowding about no-dig market gardening at the beginning of October, so don't wait too long. You can register now at climatefarmers.org. Now with that out of the way, I'll hand things over to Harriet. So we speak English? Yes, unfortunately I do not yet yes. speak German. If you could accommodate us, I would much appreciate it. <laughs> Otherwise so, we will get nowhere with my level of that language. <laughs> no problem. How are you doing today? Great to have you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, so look, why don't we just jump right in? I will quickly give a little introduction on yourself and your work, and we'll go through a couple of questions to explore some of the topics and the questions that have been pre-submitted, and then we will open it up for questions from the audience that has been here today. Sound good? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Super. All right. So Harriet Mella is one of the world's leading soil scientists, known for her work uncovering the unexplained phenomena of plant growth and development. Now, there is a lot of exciting information emerging all the time from this relatively new study of soil and the soil food web. And as a researcher on the cutting edge of soil science, Harriet Mella will shed some light on the discoveries that are changing our understanding of the world beneath our feet. How's that to get us started? <laughs> 
So look, I puts a bit going... of pressure on me, you know. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. So I am going to resist the urge to start by asking if you will just tell me everything you know because we do not have time for that as much as I would love to. But uh, how about this? So there have been some really huge leaps in the understanding of soil ecology in recent years. And these have branched out into a lot of different disciplines, everything from uh, explorations of soil EH levels, the fourth phase of water, synergistic relationships between plants and the soil food web, things like paramagnetism, epigenetics, and all of this can be really overwhelming, especially for people trying to apply it on their own land. So what, in your opinion, are the really crucial concepts to grasp and to apply in order to restore healthy function to soil ecology? I realize that this is somewhat reductionist and, and making it simplified, but let's start there. Now I'm thinking of a real smart answer, you know. <laughs> Don't worry, there's no pressure here. This is a discussion. No, the thing is, uh, there is so many approaches. You know, when I just think of your discussion you had the other day, you can go into the system just by trust and just do it. And then you can go into the system analyzing, thinking, planning, and going in, and then you do it, and you find out it works all different than you first envisioned. So I'm a bit wary about saying this is the method. But the thing to keep in mind, my opinion, is to always be a bit humble and to know that out there, there are organisms that are specialists. We are not. And all the science that we have in our hands now, you know, in German, we say it's in child's shoes. We're just beginning to understand, still beginning to understand after all this work. So maybe the approach, as John has put it, it's better just to, to let biology do its work properly and not to inhibit it. That's maybe more that we've got to learn than how to apply all these things. So I think the most important thing about soil that we have to accept instead of chemistry and all these things is structure. So if we manage to get a proper structure in the soil and we have a good gas exchange going and we have microbiology in there, many, many things will take care of itself. And I was really, just really surprised that many, many questions of all these different things really narrow down. If we've got the crumb, you know, the crumb, <laughs> then all of the things all of a sudden things start to, to manage themselves because all these things that you've managed, um, you've, you've mentioned before, you know, pH and EH and all these things, you know, we have all kinds of gradients in the soil in these crumbs. So you have all kinds of niches for the microbes there and they settle where they fit best and they begin to form syntrophy, you know, that they share metabolic pathways. They need thousand generations. So this is something that may be interesting for many people because we always think we do something to the soil or we put the microbes there and then it's tuned. And 
to keep in mind, you know, these fellows, they divide pretty slowly once a day, most of them, some even more slower. So something you do now or some species you introduce now, it will take roughly three years until it has formed syntrophy, like shared metabolic pathways where one species can do one thing and the other species can do another thing. And so they play ping pong with all these metabolites. Three years. And if you have a proper structure where all these microbes can settle in, magic things can happen. <laughs> but it takes time. Sure. So basically what we are at is the quest for the crumb. <laughs> That's a really good way to put it. And so let's approach this perhaps from a different angle now, because you've been witness to some really amazing things in plant health and development as you've done experiments and seen examples of truly healthy soil. So what is possible for plant and ecological health when soil ecology is really functioning optimally? I think a lot of people don't have reference to this and don't know what can occur when these things are really dialed in. I don't see, honestly, I don't see any limits anymore. You know, I've, I used to think, I have seen scientific papers, for example, about pumpkins. First, there is a male flush. And this male flush has 15 flowers, and then comes the female flush. And then again, this is all the wrong question. I have seen pumpkins now with better seed mixes that are more alive and with basil split in them. I have seen pumpkins come out and they have the main shoot, they have the, the first, the cotyledos, and then they get side shoots. And every one of the three tips had a female flower as first flower on them. So you have triple crown flower, you know, just cotyledos and triple crown flower. My conditions, they are not so wonderful that these fellows could realize that potential but you know just thinking that a plant that size if the soil is well enough could make three pumpkins you know immediately after getting out and then keeping on like this branching and i have seen beans for example you know the one truss usually it's like six or eight and then you see all of a sudden you have 16 beans or you have 25 double trusses of cherry tomatoes, you know, there, there is, I, now I'm at a point where I say there is no limit to, to crop potential. No, absolutely not. Wow, and the limit exciting. is the soil and the light, what the plant get and the water. Sure. Well then from the soil aspect, a lot of people come back with, well, it's not possible in my soils. And I'm wondering, is this really possible across the spectrum? or do climate factors and especially baseline mineral compositions really determine the upper limits of what can happen in healthy soils? That's a real, real touchy topic, a real touchy topic. And for example, John has become very cautious. You know, he used to say everything is possible. Then he said for a while, well, minerals that are in the mineral profile are there and the others are not. And the problem is that once you touch the topic of cold fusion or these low energy nuclear, Lenner, that's the name that they have given that, you know, 
many people just explode because we have these high energy institutions where these things are supposed to be researched and it is out of bounds that this type of thing could ever happen in the soil. So the thing is that there is research out there from Korea and from Japan that have been looking at these transmutations of elements. And if, if I'm not saying that this happens because I have not been sitting in this experiment and seeing these things, I just can see what is in literature around. If these things happen, they happen only if we have a diversity of microbes around and if these microbes are well fed. And then they have reported with methods that seem to be really up to date, but I cannot say anything to the background or if this had been thoroughly done or not. And then even mineral profiles could change. So again, in theory, maybe no limit. But of course, <laughs> probably it's faster if the soil is on ground zero and nothing is working and we do not have biology, we do not have structure, we do not have anything. It's probably smarter to import basalt, rock dust and other things and microbiology to get started instead of saying, oh, I'm waiting for the linear wave to go through my soil you know, and change everything. So I don't say no. I don't say no. I, but I cannot say, yes, this is so and expose myself as omniscient because I'm not, I'm simply, I have not seen these experience personal, sorry. No, that's, that's perfectly okay. And I, I really like that attitude that all of these things are possible, but there is a, an essential part of understanding the context that you're working with and the tools that are available and some of the exterior factors that, that influence all of this. I mean, it gets extremely detailed, but there's also a real importance from some of the fringe scientists in this area, people who are advancing things that have long been controversial, but are starting to show some real promise. And maybe I won't go into any one of those individually, but I'm interested to hear from you where some of the promise is in these disciplines that have not normally been accepted by the normal scientific community and are deserving of some more attention. Um, okay, now, look, sound, for example, is one thing. There is many devices researched now in mainly Asian countries. I mean, of course, you know, there is a division running across the world. You have these highly industrialized Western countries where we are just looking at what can we do with chemistry and more pesticides and the perfect fertilizer mixture. So this mainly hydroponic view of the soil, what can we pour on, you know, to make the plant grow. And then you have the countries where people still starve and where there is not the resources and neither the money around to buy all these things. So of course, in these countries, much research has been run to, to look at other methods that possibly or potentially could raise the yields. So for example, sound has been researched in, in Chinese countries a lot, or also these 
the paramagnetism research, it's, it's really interesting. There is, I, I cannot find happening much except in John's halo. <laughs> and there is this, this antenna based research around Christophe Lowe in, in France, you know, who has done research on that. But I do not see these streams really researched in, in strict university science. For example, paramagnetism, you do, not, you do not find a lot. You find magnetism, magnetism and water. There is also devices available by now that magnetize the water where they say, oh, the water use efficiency goes up, you know, you need less water, plants are healthy and all these things or magnetic um, treatments of seeds and, and all these things, you know, they're, they're done and, but they're done on and off. And very often the studies are not comparable. That's a problem. But what I see is, for example, sound or paramagnetism, they would have a great potential to help. Yeah. Yeah, and I would love to go into more of that as well, but I think I'll leave that to the uh, the listeners to explore. I'm curious now to understand, you know, we talk a lot about testing our soil and gathering results in order to inform protocols and management practices to improve the overall health. But there are a lot of things that, first of all, people say that don't really show up reliably in most common tests. And there are new tests that come out quite often that promise to show certain metrics above others and give a more overall understanding of what is happening under our feet. Can you talk about some of the tests that you rely on to give a, a realistic idea of different parameters that are worth measuring when we're quantifying holistic health of a soil ecosystem? Hmm. I personally here, as I do not have a large acreage, I have had to learn to interpret visual cues that the plants give and to read weeds and to read illnesses and pests. I have had to do that because it's impossible with the diversity of varieties I have and the diversity of little crops to run plant sap analysis. Simply not possible. So as I'm a trained observer, um, this is the way I have chosen. And the most promising soil test as, as a soil test that gives you information about what the soil can, you know, what, what, what you are in with your crop will be the Haney test that has recently appeared on the market. So it basically is, hmm, there is a, an effect that's called birch effect. So if you dry out the soil completely and you re-wet it, it will give off a surge of nutrients and um, carbon dioxide. And the Haney test basically pursues this idea. So it's a bit smaller than what the plant can achieve because the plant's exudate will even enhance this level probably a bit about, above the Haney test if the plant really can communicate with the soil microbial community. But that seems to be the test that really captures the available fraction, the plant available fraction. And of course, do not look at soil, look in the plant, plant sap analysis. And I really, really treasure the way that John has begun to interpret 
So when you see nutrients shifting from old growth into new growth, then you know that the plant is short on this nutrient. This special variety is short on this nutrient. So you do not have a standard set that says, okay, this apple variety needs always such and such, but you really can individually look at a plant and its state and its climate and this special location and adapt the protocols. I really like that message because it's been shown time and time again, because soil is a living and a dynamic ecosystem rather than a single thing, certainly not dead, observations need to be taken at key times, especially in plant development, because they are not the same throughout the growing season. And like you said, this is expressed very often in the plants itself, not needing to go necessarily into the soil directly, but observing. And you mentioned because you are a trained observer, a lot of these uh, deficiencies or inter necessary interventions can be deduced by paying close attention to the plants and their development. Can you go into a little more detail about some of the indicators that perhaps a less trained observer can learn to uh, observe and take valuable information from at the point in time when it's important to intervene or make some sort of amendment? Well, look, I have a friend that is a cow, a dairy farmer. And he said, when I go into the stable, I just need to look at the cow's ears. And if they are droopy, I know that something's wrong. And basically the first signal that a plant gives you is that it's not feeding properly, that it's not interested in sunlight, is the way it puts leaves in the angle to the sunlight. A plant that has a healthy microbiome around its roots, that is in good nutritional status, it will track the sun. It will prick the ears up, you know, you will see it. And it will really spread out the angle between the leaves optimally to catch sunlight. So when you see this, really that optimal solar panel arrangement, then you know that basically things are running smoothly. Once you see a plant avoiding sunlight, you know, you can really see that the plant shifts the leaf out of the sunlight, it droops them or whatever, you know, any strange gesture, you, you should get alerted. Something is not okay. And the other thing is real healthy leaf. When you see it, it's kind of glowing from the inside. You know, it's completely translucent and it's, you know, it is as if a light was switched in it. It's like a glow. And anything where you see that is, you know, it's turbid or, you know, botanists say glauk, you know, when the surface is like opaque, you know, it's not really shiny. Then, you know, something's going wrong there. This happens, for example, when the chloroplasts are shifted from their positions, when they begin to run with the cytoplasm, when they begin to be degraded, you know, all these inner changes in inner structure, they reflect just in the way the leaf shines in the sunlight. And these are the first signals and they come day before any other trouble shines up. And then, of course, you see the morphology of the new growth. If it is, I mean, this is, for example, there's an excellent um, webinar from John 
the hidden hunger excellent you know there's many cues in terms of different minerals but the more boring leaf is in terms of evenness of color um veins the same green as anything else and once you begin to see this wax layer you know you're on the safe side and an important thing is leaf thickness that's the first indicator for me you know these round leaves and thick leaves when when ceilings emerge that's the first test i make just are they thick or are they thin are they spread out and then i already know okay here is something I really have to, to pimp, you know, <laughs> have to take special care of, or where I say, these, I can leave them alone. They will do whatever, you know? And the other thing that is just from passing by that you immediately knows, notice, um, if a leaf has this fractal structure, you know, where leaf edges are serrated or wherever, the more pronounced these things is, the more healthy the plant is. So rounded leaves, spread out leaves, fractal structures, you know, for example, in lettuces, very often you see that is serrated edges or, you know, and when they get trachomes and the smell, you know, a plant, when I go into the greenhouse, I just smell immediately if there is something going wrong or not. And every person can that subconsciously, you know, these stories going into a healthy forest, heartbeat slows down. So immediately when you go there, you know by instinct, are my plants happy or aren't they? And the problem is to get conscious of this. It is, I sometimes tell the story in, when lettuces, I grow them for seed very often. So I knew two days or three days before they were going to bolt, I knew that they would. And I thought, hmm, this kind of mystic, you know? <laughs> And then um, I realized what I really was perceiving that the leaf wax layer was going away and the leaves began to look turbid, which is actually the case when the plant has not enough nutrients to support the bloom and has to degrade the photosynthetic apparatus for it. And as my ground is not perfect, you know, <laughs> this was the moment where the lettuces would do that. So that was all the magic. And these are some fascinating observations and you explained that really well. It really made me think that back to some observations I've made in my own garden and on farms that I visited. And it seems pretty clear that you can train yourself to notice these. But like you said, it's, it's a matter of practice. It probably isn't going to yeah. come in the first couple of weeks, months or years, but you become attuned to these and the more subtle energies that are transmitted by other beings, which we are often not brought up being taught to observe and along yeah. those lines i'm wondering what you can say about the training in subtle energies the fact that you can actually be trained in that in places like the us and australia this is a, a formal study now and how that fits in with a broader awareness of the holistic health of a pharmacology or a garden ecology hmm I'm not really sure what subtle energies are taught currently in these schools. What I can say is that you can train yourself to perceive, for example, the energy lines in fields, for example, you know, 
sharp edged rocks, for example, it's like it's nearly like a beam of energy that's coming off them, of many of them, not all. Or for example, if there is a pipeline running through, I once had a feel that was really funny, you know, this was like, what is going on here? You know, and then when we were up, you saw that it just one straight line, the plants were greener and higher and say, what is in the ground there? And there was a gas pipeline running. And the other thing is that, you know, it becomes a bit fashionable now to say there is no inside and outside and <laughs> I can only hit in the same direction. I have very often found plants to really react to the subconscious impulse you have. So for example, you try to make it perfect. You want the perfect crop, the perfect soil, the perfect microbiome. You give yourself a lot of pressure. You practice very hard and, and you're so fed up. You have no time. You're rushing around. It's spring and you're so fed up and the climate is not working at all. And the whole day you're carrying boxes with transplants in and out and, you know, and this usually is the moment where things stop functioning where seeds that always germinate will not germinate, where seeds, where transplants that always catch will not catch on anymore, you know, and where something, you know, things go out of order. And this is something I really had to learn to take great care of that not what I think consciously is the impulse that works, but what's running beneath, what's hitting the emotional layer. And this is why I very often say, do the best you can in a relaxed and trusting way. Because otherwise, you know, we will screw up. <laughs> it's scientifically perfect, but you still find a way to screw up. <laughs> and I have done it a hundred times, believe me. <laughs> I think that's really good advice that can be applied to so many other things beyond farming and gardening as well. And it's good to kind of keep in mind that when you get into that mentality or that energy level, not only are you more accident prone, but it's received by other life forms around you and it can be spread. Now, look, Harriet, I have so many more questions and I would love to just take over this entire call, but I will give things over to our participants now who I'm sure have a lot of questions. There you have it. Now, sorry to cut this short before the listener question portions, but we do this to protect the privacy of our farmers. But if you'd like to attend a live session in the future and get your own questions answered by our featured experts, remember that if you're a farmer anywhere in Europe, you can register to become a climate farmer today at climatefarmers.org. Now remember that all of the interviews and discussions on this show are just the beginning. The ongoing conversation continues on our dedicated Discord channel, which you can always join for free, regardless of where you live in the world and what line of work you're in. You can find the link to that Discord server on our homepage at regenerativeskills.com or through the links on our Instagram profile. Thanks once again to Harriet Mella for sharing her incredible knowledge and experience. And until next time, keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side. Along the way.